Built Unstoppable is a weekly podcast that features a new guest each week who shares their experiences, learnings, and helpful tips for achieving your greatest potential. Welcome to episode number two of the Built Unstoppable podcast. I'm your host, Justin Levy, and today I'm joined by Adrian Parker, who's the Global Vice President of Marketing for Patron Tequila. Thanks for joining the podcast today, Adrian. Thank you, Justin, for the invitation. I'm so happy to uh, be able to share on this platform you are building, and hopefully uh, something I share you will find valuable, and hopefully your listeners will too. Great. So kind of question number one is, I'm sure listeners know the Patron brand and may wonder what a typical day might look like for you beyond the endless meetings, presentations, and all of that fun stuff that uh, uh executive gets to do <laughs> i would say yeah meetings and presentations and budgets are pretty much the language of running a global brand um you know i so i've been uh with patron about six and a half years total uh last august i took on the role of the global vice president of marketing and so uh i effectively run uh patron brand uh, across all 140 countries we're in so anything with the patron logo uh, from the the bottle label to commercials to social to digital to um, you know how we show up uh, in the trade in bars and restaurants etc all that flows through a, a talented team of competitive professionals that I have the honor and privilege of learning for, from each and every day um, you know Patron everybody knows Patron in the U.S. outside the U.S. is funny Te- tequila is a very uh, emerging uh, liquid or emerging spirit and so we spend a lot of time educating people outside the U.S. and Mexico about uh, tequila and how to drink it and and its provenance. But, you know, I, I think you know, Patron, one of the most uh, well-known, most talked about spirits brands in the world. Uh, last year, we had our most profitable year in the company's history. And so, and so a lot of my time is spent um, uh, taking down barriers, reducing friction for the marketing team to execute uh, the plans they need to deliver the business. Um, a good amount is just uh, procuring resources, ideas, approvals, and um, structure to make sure that we can implement. Um, I spend a lot of time on strategy, right? So what is our five or 10-year vision for not only our volume and our our sales and our, our sales growth, but also, hey, what does that team look like? What does that structure look like? What are the experiences, the brand ideas, or the communication um, platforms that are going to help us tap into our consumer insights as well. So um, it's really a job that's about asking questions, being curious about the consumer behavior, um, challenging yourself, but also getting out of the way. So I spend a lot of time dodging my team because I need to get out of their way because they're sprinting by. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a lot of coordination, a lot of uh, mental agility, and honestly, <laughs> a lot of uncertainty, right? I mean, this year has been a a uh, PhD and just like, how do you deal with the unknown? And I think a lot of us are having to learn on our feet. Well, I can honestly say that my wife and mine favorite drink is margaritas. So that's very good. Um, And we take uh, a trip for our anniversary every year down to Cabo and spend the entire week drinking margaritas without the except without uh, this year because of everything going on. But fortunately, my wife knows how to make a good margarita, so we definitely enjoyed them at home. 
Oh man, I love a margarita. Actually, you know, margarita is the one. The it actually is the number one cocktail in the United States for past decade. So we love margaritas. We have a love affair with that drink. But also Cabo. I've been four times. It's our favorite <laughs> destination. Straight flight from Texas. So I'm all about it. Me and you got to hang out in Cabo <laughs> with margaritas as soon as we can get down there. Yes, sir. So. At your level, right, at an executive leadership level, and and your career has been on that trajectory for a while, how do you define leadership? When you think of it, how do you actually define that for someone? Yeah, I think leadership, and I'll define it in terms of how it differs from management. I think leadership is uh, setting and identifying a vision that moves a team and its resources forward towards something that they otherwise might not have been able to accomplish. Um, I think you know, leadership, and I think what sets leadership apart from management is, you know, management is the, you know, it's the operationalizing, the discipline of getting things done towards a task, right? And that's very important. So the tool of leadership is often management, it's culture. Um, it's, it's a lot of those things that we talk about a lot, but I think what sets leadership apart and defines a leader is the ability to set that vision to ignite whether it's hearts, minds, or even heads in terms of uh, moving forward towards towards a preferred or forecasted version of the future, managing today's company and tomorrow's company and moving those forward progressively while navigating all the accompanying landmines. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when I think of those two as well, you know, I think of you can be a, a leader by title, right? So you can be a t- by, have a EVP or SVP or whatever that title is. And we as a society typically define that as a leader, but that person may be nothing more than a micromanager that their people only follow because they have that title. So they just do what they're told to do because they have that title. And whereas you can have a leader, even at a, at a lesser title, that person could be a director, for example, but people buy into that to them. So they are maybe quote unquote, just a people manager, but they're a leader, right? They're an aspiring leader because their people would move heaven and earth for that person. That's good. Yeah, I think what truly, and this is going to sound so cliche, so I'll, I will I will unpack it uh, appropriately. What sets leaders apart and what I found in my own experience, and not that I've attained this level of leadership mastery, but I'm, I'm, I'm always learning forward. A leader has a heart for people. A person that loves change or business more than they love people isn't a good leader because it'll always be about the outcome. And so we have great titans of industry and business that we've celebrated for decades that you know actually might not have been good human beings they, they weren't compassionate they weren't supportive but they they drove companies toward you know record revenue they launched products etc and so i think over time we've so um canonized and heroized this notion of the man or woman that can you know pull themselves up and and, and conquer business but i think what you're finding is this emerging definition of a leader that ability to to really have compassion and and, and lead people in a way um, that's heartfelt uh, and leading people holistically. There's no longer the separation between 
uh, your work life and then there's your home life. And then there, you know, like it all kind of blurs. And I think the yep. ability for leaders now is to uh, lead people in a way that's much more, I think, inclusive, much more, um, I think, holistic as well. And I think it creates opportunities and challenges as we move away from that old school leader that was, you know, he was the he was the answer. And oftentimes, honestly, it, it was a he. Right. Um, yep. it, it was this. You come to me with the for, you know, for uh, information and, you know, I have access. And I think now because our teams are so distributed, uh, but still coordinated, so globalized, et cetera, the definition of a successful leader has become much more about, um, you know, driving towards outcomes, but also supporting employees and culture and people. And it's much more of, you know, in, instead of being the, you know, the battleship commander, it's actually a lot more of, you know, being that, um, that, that visionary ambassador to really, um, really, um, I think, be an archetype for the values of your company, your product, and then translate that into how it comes to life. Yeah, and you, you actually hit on part of it as well, right? You add in the, that diversity piece. And for people that don't work within companies or haven't had the opportunity to work within companies, especially larger companies that have diversified their senior leadership, including their C-suite, their boards, things like that. It is really a differentiator and you see the difference uh, with that diversification uh, because it helps to inform everything that that company is doing, including the culture. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you have to have that diversity of experience, of uh, background, of geography, um, I think as, as much as possible. And I think it's a relatively new phenomenon. I think, you know, after, yeah. uh, you know, look at the industrial revolution. I mean, I mean, the the things of the typical standardized and traditional management practices and tactics, they worked for a season, meaning, yeah, I needed you to make more widgets faster. And so we can measure that. We can monitor it. I needed you to, uh, you know, I, I could I could manage uh, people not as solutions, but as tools. People were tools. And so we manage them like they were tasks. And I think as we've evolved, right, I think we've moved to a model where, like, people are solving problems and creating value and doing things that would have never been imaginable just half a century ago. And so I think it's required us to um, break down the leadership um, myths or the outdated views and build up a new model, as, et cetera. And I think the challenge is, you know, a lot of our companies, legacy companies, you're so uh, beholden to that. You know, I used to work for Radio Shack, um, you know, which it's, you know, contrary to popular belief, Radio Shack's still floating out there. Still some franchises here or there. <laughs> if you're in a small town, you'll still find a Radio Shack on the corner. But, you know, Radio Shack is an ongoing corporate entity, especially the retailer, no longer exists. And I remember my story, first time I, I got, I felt like a leader um, uh, essentially was when I was leading uh, social for Radio Shack. And I'd had, I'd had a director title before, so I had people reporting to me as a leader before when I worked for Kate Spade in uh, New York City. But I was just kind of more of a, I had a title, but I wasn't really leading. Like, I, I was just kind of okay. more, I was more of a project manager. I was getting stuff done. I remember at Radio Shack, though, we were going through some, some tough times. Um, and I remember, you know, I only had a two-person social team. But there was no one bringing the full digital teams together. So there was mm -hmm. no one that was saying, hey, social, uh, paid media, e-commerce, uh, digital content, et cetera. They all reported to different teams and nobody was bringing those teams together so we could 
look at the holistic consumer experience. And we're going through so many bad, uh, you know, negative revenue, declining quarters. I, you know, I, honestly, when that happens, a lot, a lot of leadership gets insulated. They kind of like, let's not have that status yep. meeting because like, <laughs> there's any good news. And so the status meetings get canceled. No one's talking about the obvious issues. Everyone goes into preservation mode. I remember that was the first time I started to set up this simple thing. It was called the Monday mashup. And every Monday, I got all the digital counterparts together from across the company for just a 15-minute standing session where we all talked together. We had coffee and bagels, and we all started to uh, just share what we're working on and how we could help one another. And that went on for months. And we started this um, exercise of just kind of coming together. I remember... um, one of the VPs called me into their office and was like, hey, like, what are you doing? I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm bringing the teams together. We're talking. We're, we're working on projects. But we're also we're like, we're coming together to unite uh, to face the challenges of our business. I remember his comment. He was kind of mad at me. He was like, well, that's my job. <laughs> right. And, you know, like the obvious. So I didn't have to say right? I didn't have to respond. It was like, well, you know, why aren't you doing it? And so I remember that. I remember, and I think that's the difference between management and leadership. It's the ability yep. to see the needs of a team. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna evolve. It's gonna change, and so that ability to bring people together, face those challenges head on, even when you don't have the answer, I think is the is the ability for a leader to navigate those those uh, dark alleys, even when you're alone. And you know, sometimes leadership gets lonely, it gets hurtful, um, and we don't talk nearly enough about those times. Absolutely. Now. One of the things you mentioned, and I completely agree, is before and not too long ago, people and and even nowadays try to delineate between their quote unquote personal and professional lives, right? And and I think we both agree that that doesn't exist. Your life is your life, whether that's professional or personal, they blend. Now. I know from being friends that you are a family man with a a beautiful family. You're active with your church and, you know, you focus on your fitness. So how would you say that those aspects, those things that you're passionate about, uh, help to inform and help to round you out for when you're at work? And how does work help to inform you, you know, back at home? Ideally. Yeah, that's good. It's the great debate. And if my wife listening, she would say I probably haven't been on the fitness uh, <laughs> track uh, enough during quarantine. So, honey, I'm going to get back on it. The, the Peloton is calling me. All right. Um, no, I'll say this. I remember um, going to your original question and then unpacking it in terms of that dichotomy between personal and professional life. I remember when I was at Intuit, um, I, I was leading a team of like social and mobile marketers globally. I remember uh, our one of our VPs was talking at the time. And I remember we were trying to coach, you know, executives on how to get online and social media. And they always wanted to separate their personal Twitter profile from their professional. And a lot of them set up just different ones. Right. And I remember challenging the notion that like people don't want to like talk to business you. They want to talk to real you. And I think it was such a profound notion at that time that people would actually just want to know that I'm a Duke basketball fan, but also, Hey, I lead digital or people want to know that, you know, I have a puppy and a kid, but also, Hey, I, I, you know, I, I, I lead a multi-billion dollar tequila company. I mean, that's a, it's a very um, new, I think phenomenon. I think folks, so for me, I started to make the decision. It was probably about eight years ago 
that I no longer wanted to segment my, my life. I, I wanted to be holistically and authentically Adrian at work. And I wanted that work to be something that I could talk to my kids about, talk to my family about. A, because it's so exhausting to, to try to break it apart. You know, uh, G- Google released some research last year talking about the people who were segmenters and integrators. So about 30% of us are segmenters where we have this clear line between work and, and family. And there's all kind of health, I think, benefits still like being able to, you know, cut your work off at five and turn on family time. But the lion's share of us, 70%, are, we're integrators. We're in- integrated our lives into working our schedules and our families into this kind of perpetual journey of sometimes balancing. And I think what I found is that ability to um, be the best at work, I have to be the best at home. And to be the best at home, I have to be the best at work. And and so those things come together for me. And so for me, it's, it's, it's fitness, also my faith and my spirituality. It's also my work, uh, my purpose, uh, my kids, all those things combine to make me uniquely me. Doesn't mean I'm better than anybody, it's, just, it's uniquely Adrian. I think when you can inspire your team to bring that, uh, to work each and every day, you start to get the solutions you're looking for right there in your team, right? And I think those passions, those interests, um, those backgrounds, all of that makes your team so much more beautiful. It's like a bouquet of talent that you have sitting right there in your org chart. And I think the ability to unlock that uh, is bringing all of that to work, not just your your LinkedIn profile, it's bringing your full self. But oftentimes leaders have to role model that. Otherwise, it's not necessarily an accepted practice in many businesses still. Yeah, it's funny that you mention that because when I've helped CEOs especially become present on, say, Twitter, you know, they kind of understand LinkedIn. It's their professional profile. It's probably somewhere where they've already been. But Twitter's the kind of scary ground, the unknown for them. And I always coach them. And sometimes, you know, depending on the CEO, we would provide them with the content. They would approve it, but we would manage it. Other times they would want to post it themselves, but we would help suggest content to them. But every time we would push them to, here's the topics about the company that we've posted. Here's the company blog. Here's new announcements, whatever that may be. Here's third-party comments about the company, maybe another, you know, uh, blog site or whatever it is, analyst wrote about us. And so you want to highlight them and it still talks about the company, but you also need to now post things that you're passionate about, whether that's space or like you said, basketball or whatever that may be, you have to sound like a human. You're just not... CEO at fill in the blank company. So no, I've, I've had to coach plenty of CEOs on that same exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's an ongoing, I think, uh, challenge, but also creates an opportunity when you bring your humanity to work, it opens up such, um, a great, uh, conversation, but also the empathy that, that you can mind. And obviously, you know, we know cautionary tales of CEOs or businesses uh, <laughs> who have shared, you know, they've been authentically themselves and it's backfired. Right. And I think, you yep. know, if you look at the response to COVID or even the response to Black Lives Matter movement and some of the social injustice conversation, you know, there are times, when, you know, you look at, you know, the, uh, you know, the one the founders of CrossFit, right. Yep. Um, shared something. And, and so, and so I think as leaders, you have to um, have the, 
EQ um, to know your voice has ramifications and consequences largely outside of your personal identity. And so it, it creates a platform, but also creates a responsibility um, to, uh, to, you know, to, to attempt to um, guard your words. And I think the best thing I've learned is, you know, you can think in private and then talk in public. I think sometimes what happens is we're think we're wrestling with a thought and we think it out loud to publicly too soon. And so <laughs> I think oftentimes a lot of us, even me, myself, m- my wife is probably the, the best coach on this. And you probably do this because you, you got a comms background. Hey, let's have that uncomfortable, awkward conversation. A small group of us in a room. Let's get it all out. But like, man, like before we get in front of the, you know, the the town hall or Twitter or whatever it is, let's 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 coach and let's get there. And so I think communication uh, creates an avenue for that. But, yeah, it does create those that governance that you have to have to make sure that the message is received with the with, with the intent in, in, in which it was given. So as someone with so many things on your plate at any given time. I think what some people will think and would be helpful to them is how do you stay productive on the actual work that will move the ball forward for Patron? Oh, this is the um, billion dollar question. (laughs) I mean, quite literally a billion dollar question. Uh, A few things I kind of maybe not. And my caveat is always this. I don't give advice. I give evidence. So advice you can get from keynotes and conferences. And there are a lot of smart people with PhDs and everything. And I read a lot of their books. Uh, Evidence is just, hey, here's my experience. And so, yeah, ignore it if it doesn't work. I think for me, part of that uh, staying on top of the needs of the business and my family, et cetera, two things. One is surround yourself with smart people. Hire your tutor. Hire people that you can learn from that are able to uh, take a business or a division or a tactic or a, a team farther than you could. Right. And so having that trust is super, super uh, important, but also paramount to to building to building that that life that you can navigate multiple competing priorities. Thing two is be OK saying no. Uh, be OK not being on the call. Be OK missing the meeting, calling it out. I think oftentimes we have culture, especially in larger companies where there's a lot of bureaucracy. I think there's this notion of, you know, let's call it presenteeism where, you know, you, you, you got to be a part of it because you have to be. Mm-hmm. Every job has aspects of it where you just have to do something that you don't think is valuable. But I think you've got to own your destiny and direct your day. And so having a clear schedule, having clear um, guardrails on your family time versus your, your, your uh, professional time, which is challenging during COVID. And I'll be quite honest, I had a killer schedule before COVID. I was killing. <laughs> I had it mapped out. I had sent it to my team. Um, I had uh, read his book called uh, Free, Free to Focus by Michael Hyatt. Yep. I had mapped out, hey, where do I add the most value, right? And, you know, there's two or three things that I'm really good at. Uh, and then here's the other five things I'm not really good at. So, hey, my team should really take that on as well. And I think as leaders, the, the myth of the well-rounded leader is probably the most damaging piece. I was like, oh, I have to be good at all these things. No, like, no, don't be well-rounded. Have a well-rounded team. I think yep. that's the opportunity to make sure you're balancing your highest and best use with, uh, you know, the requirements of being a father or a husband or, you know, a, a wife, et cetera. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a moving target. But I think a team you can trust, time management, saying no. Um, and I think lastly, you know, this and this might be some, somewhat controversial to some is um, there's only one guy, Adrian Parker, who could be uh, – uh, a husband to my wife or a father to my kids 
at this point, you know, I'd be honest, there's probably a hundred people who could potentially run Patron tequila and quite honestly might do it better. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> I think you gotta, you gotta prioritize and, you know, you, you have to set those boundaries and, you know, invest ahead for what's most important while setting your team up to be successful as well. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more with that. And you can, I think all of us in how our lives blend, right? When you take your personal life, which is your family and, and maybe your hobbies and, and whatever else that may be and bounce it against essentially your professional life, just what your job is and how many hours you have to put into that. You have to keep yourself in check. And sometimes one thing may outbalance the other for some reason, uh, given the day, week, month kind of season, but you don't, what you see too many people do is they focus on their job 18 to 20 hours a day. They lose sleep. They actually are less productive in the long run. They end up at the worst case divorced. You know, their kids grow up without them around, you know, name it. We've all seen it. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately experienced it in uh, our offices, seeing people that have gone through that, that we know, and it's, that's not safe. You know, you have to be dialed into work because we all carry our phones and our laptops and, and all of that stuff. But when it comes to getting home and things like that, especially you with kids, I don't, I don't have kids, but when you get home, a lot of that stuff for me, goes on pause for a little, a little while. I come home, have dinner, and relax for a few. And then maybe before bed or something like that, I might jump back on to make sure that all is well. But you yeah. have to have, you have to balance your life and yeah, ensure good. that it's not simply work. Because that, to to what a lot of these books will say and, and things of that nature, you'll actually yeah. become less productive in the end. Yeah, no, I agree. I'll quickly share some uh, research. Um, last year I found from Harvard, it, uh, two phenomena that happened. One is the uh, fallacy of the uh, fallacy of arrival. When you keep putting uh, future happiness and joy, uh, it's, it's always future tense. And so it's the job, the promotion, the bigger house, the, you know, I don't know, call it, you know, whatever the spouse, um, you, you push off the hope. And, uh, when you get it, it all, you know, there's that cognitive dissonance, dissonance because there's a gap in expectation. And then two, the single most, um, greatest indicator of happiness is your relationships. It's not money, mm -hmm. title, uh, prestige or privilege It's actually relationships. And so what happens, especially for up and coming executives, and I've seen this in my own life and seen this in my peers is what happens is there's this double jeopardy that when you're trying to climb the ladder, um, you steal time from the things, relationships or hobbies or fitness, because you're, you're investing that effort ahead into your career. What happens when you, you hit a hard spot in your career, you don't have the fallback of family relationships, et cetera, or fitness because you haven't invested. And so it creates this double jeopardy when the times you need, um, non-work support the most, you don't, you've invested the least in it. And I think we have to start to change that narrative where we're leading our teams to be okay unplugging, to not have that double jeopardy. Hey, make sure 
your parents are okay. Take the time to like take care of your kids. Take the time to unplug. Uh, role model what it looks like to be out of the office. You know, you know, for years I never set my out of office right because as a leader, it's like, oh, you, you're never really off, right? I mean, you know, you you have you have this great title, so even if you're on vacation, you should probably be ex- you know uh, you know accessible. I remember I started a year ago to set my out of office and truly honor time off because it made such a statement to, I think, my peers and also my teams. And so I think we've got to start to do that. Otherwise, you're going to continue to see that cycle that you've seen where the divorce or the estranged relationships from kids and all those things are the byproduct. And so you have this great career, but man, like you don't have anything to really show for it from a personal perspective. Absolutely. And I saw, I had this experience when we were in Cabo a few years ago and I took a photo of a friend's book, which had just come out and I was reading it by the pool and enjoying it. And I wanted to show it, help influence people to hopefully go buy it. And here I was on vacation in the middle of relaxing. And I posted the photo to Instagram and Facebook or whatever it was. And I immediately got a text from someone at work that had my cell phone number saying, I know that you're online, even though you have your out of office posted because you posted that photo. I have a quick question for you. And I replied, I'm on vacation. That doesn't mean that I'm offline. Because just because I'm on vacation doesn't mean that I'm not I'm not going to post photos. It means that I'm not going to return your emails. That's what it means. And, you know, that that experience has always stuck out in my mind. And I'll probably remember it for the rest of my career, even though I don't remember who that person was, because it it just caught me with such an edge when yeah when that experience happened so we've come to the final question which is one that i ask everyone and that i hopefully will wrap into a pretty little bow you know tens of hundreds of episodes into this but what does being built unstoppable mean to you well, thanks, first of all, for the opportunity to share and connect. I'm learning just as much as I hope I'm, I'm sharing things that are uh, worth learning. I think for me, being built stoppable means tapping into uh, the unique you. You know, there is a, uh, a gift, a skill, a purpose that only you can you can deliver. And the notion that you can um, move forward towards that through uncertainty through uh, setbacks, through landmines, through global pandemics, doesn't matter. <laughs> Built Unstoppable is that gravitational pull towards you being the best, truest, and most honest version of yourself. And so that's not only in business, that's also in our relationships. That's also um, at home. That's also in, in just how we treat our people in our community. I think Built Unstoppable is that. It's that pull towards being the best version of ourselves while honoring um, you know, our own purpose and not looking to the right, to the left, and comparing Build Unstoppable is about that that resilience uh, that only comes from knowing who you are and, and why you're here. Awesome. And where can people find you on the web? Yeah, you know, if you want to, you know, check check me out. I have a blog, adriandparker.com, where I, I share some some thoughts. Uh, disagree or agree, you know, check that out. Also, <laughs> obviously, on, on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn as well. And it actually just uh, launched my uh, first podcast with one of my good friends, Daryl Calfee. I have a 
podcast on Spotify and Apple called Unfollow Podcast, where, you know, it's, it's similar to this conversation, I'm talking about all the bad things, bad advice I'm letting go of to move forward into a better, more authentic version of myself for my business, my team, and my family. And so, yeah, anywhere online, check me out. And I'd love to hear responses or comments or questions from this podcast as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining the Built Unstoppable podcast this week, Adrian. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for joining another episode of Built Unstoppable. Please head over to BuiltUnstoppable.com where you can read new articles from Justin Levy.